I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Home sweet home. Tonight, tonight, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Home sweet Warning, Delaware Crime Podcast contains graphic material that may be unsuitable for children under 18. Parental guidance and listener caution is suggested. It's an extremely unusual move, and uh, the reasons that I think they did it are twofold. Firstly, I think it's a strategic move insofar as it prevents them or at least avoids them having to lay their cards on the table in terms of providing evidence to the defense, which could be used later in a defense-advantageous manner. Uh, secondly, I believe it reflects a, a humane real realization on their part that uh, these are kids that are presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. They are in an adult prison with hardened criminals. And uh, it's seven months between now and trial, and they are not risk of flight or security to others. So putting all those things together and doing the right thing, the just thing, they've made that decision. However, the state would not oppose if they were here. Hello, and good morning, my fellow crime lovers. Being Mother's Day... I thought this tragic crime fit. So, and I hope everyone, um, all my mothers and grandmothers, had a wonderful Mother's Day, by the way. I know I did. So, anyway, uh, I want to point out about this podcast, um, something about this podcast. It's not a platform for judgment or inappropriate opinions, but just facts of the crime. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist, so I just want to make that known. I don't know what people are thinking or what they're doing, and I don't judge them. So I just want to make that known in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Amy Grossberg went into labor just after midnight. She was in her freshman dorm at the University of Delaware in pain and terrified. She couldn't go to the hospital. Only 18, she'd spent the last nine months hiding her pregnancy from her well-to-do parents, perhaps afraid to shatter their suburban perfect image of their lovely artistic daughter. So she called the baby's father, Brian Peterson, also 18, at his college in Gettysburg, PA. He arrived three hours later in his black Toyota Celica, took her to a nearby Comfort in Motel and paid $52 for room 220. What happened next is equal parts mystery and tragedy. Police said a healthy baby boy, 20 inches long and six, 6 pounds and 2 ounces, was born towards morning. Brian told authorities <clears throat> that he put the child in a plastic bag and deposited him in the dumpster. The students returned to their colleges, 
stopping at a car wash, perhaps to clean up the Toyota Celica's interior, and hoped that their glided, carefree lives would go on as if nothing happened. But something had. The next day, the police say they found the infant shaken to death and with his skull and brain crushed, which would be debatable in court by the defendants. Amy and Brian were were charged with murder. And, uh, you know, such grisly crimes at the time were not uncommon. That same month in 1996, a cleaning woman at a movie theater in New York's Long Island found an hours old boy affixated in a toilet. FBI stats at the time showed that 207 children younger than a week old were murdered in 1996, a 92% increase since the 1970s at that time. Excuse me. But Grossberg and Peterson came from wealthy, stable homes. Friends described them as good kids. They had access to abortion clinics, adoption agencies, and counseling to handle an unwanted child. They were two wealthy kids who had so many options, said a Grossberg family friend. He stated, seeking an abortion or putting the baby up for adoption perhaps seemed too risky to the teens. They were afraid, <clears throat> excuse me, their families would find out. And that this would cause Grisberg and Peterson disappoint because they were afraid their families would find out. They didn't want to disappoint the people they loved the most who had high expectations for two college students in comfortable worlds, which may have led led to Grossberg and Peterson into a spiral and fatal decision. So, Amy and Brian met at Rapio High School in Franklin Lakes. An affluent suburban, an affluent suburban of golf courses and million-dollar homes, twenty miles northwest of New York. Theirs was a classic teenage courtship. The proms, the glowing yearbooks, photos in a town where everything was above average. She excelled in art and French. He was a jock, captain of the golf team, co-captain of the soccer squad. Both kids grew up in new money, suburban mansions, and drove their own new cars. Grossberg's father owned a large furniture business. Her mother was an interior designer. Peterson's mother and stepfather ran a successful video rental business. So, walking the halls at Rampo, I'm sorry, Rampo High, the popular popular couple, sorry about that folks, seemed an ideal match. It was probably as serious as a teenage relationship gets said a 
a co-worker who worked with Grossberg at the Market Basket Gourmet food store. She said, when they left for college last summer, Grossberg was six months pregnant. Peterson made the three-hour trip from Gettysburg College to Delaware every other weekend. And she only visited him once at his college. Though Grossberg, who was just over five feet tall and wore a size one at the time, somehow managed to hide her pregnancies from friends and family at home. She made no secret of her condition at school, though. She wore tight shirts and she didn't hide it, said another student on her floor, Thompson Hall. As, as Grossberg, nobody approached her because we kind of respected her privacy. Students who met them at both schools said Grossberg and Peterson seemed perfectly well-adjusted. There were no reports of missed classes or other signs of stress. The only potential trouble came when Grossberg's mother, Sonia, said she planned to go to Delaware, University of Delaware's homecoming a month before the baby's birth. Her daughter told her she'd be away visiting friends. Perhaps Amy, in her eight months of pregnancy, couldn't face her. When her water broke in the dorm at 12.45 a.m. on November 12th, Grossberg apparently wasn't sure what was happening. According to police reports, she called Peterson and said her stomach was bothering her and she might be in labor. After he picked her up, they drove past several cheap motels along the highway before deciding on the Comfort Inn Motel on Elkton Road, five minutes from the university. They checked out at 3.10 a.m. They checked, I'm sorry, they checked in at 3.10 a.m. About an hour later, Grossberg gave birth. Around 5 a.m., they checked out to return to and returned to her dorm room, where the couple slept for hours before Peterson drove back to Gettysburg. The only evidence left of their, left of their ordeal lay wrapped in a plastic bag in the dumpster behind the motel, the Comfort Inn. They could have got away with it, Grossberg Grossberg Doors mates said. They didn't notice anything about her demeanor or body that indicated she had given birth. There was really no change. But later that day, about 5 p.m., Grossberg began to complain of stomach pain and slumped to the floor of her dorm. dorm I'm sorry, dorm. She had turned very pale and blood was seeping out her pants. Her roommate went running down the hall. Someone called an ambulance. When Grossberg arrived at Christian Hospital in Newark, Delaware, doctors discovered that the baby's placenta had not passed through the uterus through the uterus during delivery, which caused complications. She finally broke down and told doctors about the motel birth and her boyfriend's role in disposing of the baby. Police in Delaware and Pennsylvania began to investigate. They found damp and bloody sheets, clothes, and sanitary napkins in Amy's room. By then, Peterson had also begun to snap. Just hours after returning to his Gettysburg University campus, 
He confided to a student residence counselor that he had helped his girlfriend give birth and they had gotten rid of the child, according to the police. Investigators found a bag of bloody sheets in his dorm as well. In his car was a receipt from the white glove car wash, stamped, that's in Newark, stamped with the time 11.28 a.m., about seven hours after the baby was born. Pennsylvania officials held Peterson on misdemeanor charges of concealing the death of a baby, but they were forced to release him because the alleged crime occurred in another state and they had no evidence to hold him. Peterson promptly disappeared. Meanwhile, police in Delaware had discovered the baby's corpse. I'm sorry, the baby's corpse. An autopsy completed a few days later showed that he had died of multiple skull fractures with an injury to the brain, blunt force trauma, and shaking. According to the police report, as he was as she was released after five days in the hospital, police arrested Grisberg, looking pale and eerie in a hooded sweatshirt, and charged her with first-degree murder. The Delaware Attorney General at the time, M. Jane Brady, announced that because the victim was younger than 14, the state planned to seek the death, pe- ten- I'm sorry, this death penalty against both teens. The chief prosecutor, Peter Lee Tang, refused to comment on a pl- on the possibility that Delaware should seek separate trials for the teenagers. But he said before the state can proceed with a joint trial, it must review the statements that investigators had taken from the t- teenagers and remove any incriminating or hearsay information one might have provided about the other. Facing that prospect of the death, Peterson went into hide, went into went deeper into hiding. A national manhunt held by the FBI mobilized the media. While the New York tabler, ta- I'm sorry, whoops, while the New York tabloids screamed, how could they? Friends and neighbors defended them. She was the sweetest girl you'd ever meet. It's like Barbie getting busted, said a Grossberg family friend. Peterson's lawyer, Joe Joseph Hurley, tried to soften his client's baby killer image in the, fifth, in the face of a potential death sentence by announcing that Peterson wasn't fleeing. He was in seclusion with his mother, Barbara. How can I give my only born, my, how can I give my only born child to the state to die? Joe, Joe Hurley reported Peterson's mom as saying, but with the feds threatening to step up their search, Pearson's family realized he could have, would have to turn himself in. The night before surrendering, Peterson and his family moved to the Hotel DuPont in Wilmington, Delaware area. The young fugitive spent the evening praying, Hurley said. At 9.30 a.m. Thursday, the following Thursday, I'm sorry, Hurley... Peterson and his parents drove from the hotel to a to the Wilmington Street corner, two blocks from the local FBI office. The blue-eyed teen wore a baseball cap and blue jeans. Worried about death threats, Peterson also sported a bulletproof vest, a loan from the FBI. 
as the family moved as the family moved slowly through a mass of about peop, about 50 pushing shouting reporters <clears throat> peterson's mother clung tightly to him she sobbed slowly through through a mass of the 50 people and shouting reporters She sobbed as someone yelled, Baby killer! As they arrived at the courthouse, she wailed, I wanted to go with him. Inside, Peterson said just one word, yes, as the judge asked him to confirm his name. When asked how his client would plead, Hurley responded, just as Graceberg's lawyer did. We take the position that Peterson did not murder the baby. But the defense is not taking any chances. was not taking any chances. The teen's lawyer had hired Dr. Michael Baden, a well-known forensic pathologist who testified for the O.J. Simpson for O.J. Simpson at his murder, murder trial, I'm sorry, to work as a consultant. One possible argument is that rather than beating the baby to death, they scare, the scared young parents accidentally, I'm sorry, crushed the skull while trying to deliver their own child. That could still get a manslaughter conviction, but it avoids the death penalty, Hurley stated. Um, Hurley stated. Then Hurley started immediately to point the finger at Amy Grossberg. <clears throat> You knew that was going to happen. I think Amy's concerns are the major thing that led them to where they ended up, he said. She was totally concerned with not letting her mom find out. So, the, the press said, were they rich kids who callously killed so they could continue to lead a worry-free life? Or were they innocent teenagers who didn't fully understand the consequences? They understand... Okay, I'm sorry. They They understand cognitively that murder is wrong, but are too emotionally immature for the consequences of their action. A childhood friend of Peterson says there's a lot of pressure in the neighborhood like that, especially with the girls, to be the perfect princess. She must have built up in her mind how terrible terrible it would be if her mother found out how, how everyone would look down at her. Image, image is everything. In New Jersey, in where they lived in Wysock, New Jersey, that was an like, image was really big there. Okay, now Grossberg and Peterson had to confront something far more terrifying than the humiliation of their image, the prospect of death row. But eventually, a Delaware court sentenced Amy Grossberg to thirty months, and Brian to twenty-four months, respectively. For the death of their newborn son, and it was a manslaughter charge that they did get. So they lucked out, definitely. Uh, so um, during this time, 
the uh, in New Jersey, um, I'm sorry, the acting governor passed a law, the New Jersey Sa- Safe Haven Protection Act, was Amy's law, Bill A two six. After Amy Grossberg, who, with the help of her boyfriend, Brian Peterson, threw the newborn baby in a Mattel trash dumpster in Delaware. The Safe Havens Protection Act is supposed to give these girls an alternative to killing their babies. Under the law, a parent can can anonymously deliver or arrange the delivery of a baby that appears to be no more than 30 days old without expressing intent to return to a police station or the emergency department of a hospital, no questions asked. The parent drops off the baby, walks away, and is no longer a parent. This was also passed by, by my previous wonderful past neighbor and district rep in Delaware in 2006, Representative Pamela Myers. Attorneys invoked Jewish law in the case of the accused baby killer to prevent her parents from testifying. The actions by the attorneys for Amy, Amy Grisberg raised questions about the standing Halachi Jewish law, the status in the status of a southern state. Brian Jr. Brian Pearson Jr. twenty two was arrested at Chase Stadium in Flushing, New York during a game between the Braves and the New York City. Braves and the New York Mets, I'm sorry. He was eight months into a two-year probation term, and violation would have landed him in jail. Police said Peterson shot obscenities at Officer Trent to block the arrest of his friend Raymond Manny Aki, who... He was accused of throwing a bottle at a rocker as he jogged from the pen to the ball ball pen to pitch against the Mets. I'm sorry, at at rocker. That's a uh, baseball player at the time. <clears throat> Amy, so uh, that was something that happened, you know, eight months after he was released from prison. He was had that going on. Amy, who was accused with her boyfriend of murdering their newborn son in Delaware at the time, denied it nationally in a televised interview that she had killed the infant, that she hadn't killed the infant, I'm sorry. In a cherry appearance in 1996 on ABC's 2020 with her parents and new lawyer, Amy Grisberg, 18, said she mourned for the infant and had visited his grave. It was a part of me, Miss Grisberg told the interviewer, Barbara Walters. My heart breaks. I will I would never hurt anything or anybody, especially something that has come for me. Miss Grisberg said she was terrified of receiving the death penalty at the time and rejected the notion that she was a baby killer. It was the furthest thing from the truth. The furthest furthest I'm sorry, furthest Thing. I can't say that word today, Miss Grisberg said. <clears throat> so, um, and for as an update on Amy and Brian, and I didn't find much. I had to really dig. So, um, 
Amy and Brian have moved on with life separately. And uh, one of them, I think Brian, had been has been married and divorced, and now he's happily remarried. They both um, separately have other children, and from news reports, they're both excellent parents. So, you know, it turned out that they, I think, I believe that they learned their life lesson with the ordeal and their age that helped them to make wiser and better decisions in life. So they did everything, you know, they did turn out to be responsible adults. I know that they both have very, you know, they have jobs, they're happily married, uh, you know, everything's good. But, you know, so um, they're like probably in their 40s, I think now. So, you know, this was in 1996. So, so hopefully they did you know, learn a valuable lesson, and I think that was um, as sad as it was. I think I believe, and this is just my opinion. This is not anything that I think. Uh, you know, when you're 18, you're not completely aware of what the consequences and the things that you're doing. So, and I, from what I hear, I think both of them went through. Um, Addict, like uh, you know, drinking issues and some addiction issues because of all the, you know, press and all the horrible things that happened. So I, um, but that was like right after it happened. But we will never understand what Amy and Brian were thinking. Okay, back in 1996, and thinking or why they did what they did in the motel room in November of 1996. But I feel um, we can learn lessons as parents from the crimes like this that still happen. Obviously, like Brooke Schuyler Richardson, who when she was 17, she placed her deceased baby in the backyard after hiding her full-term pregnancy for her family and friends in May, just recently in May of 2019. And uh, there were some other things that have happened. So um, I think as parents, and I, like I said, this is just my opinion. I, all kids are different. I'm not, and I want to tell you, I'm, I'm a parent of a teen, and I'm not the perfect parent. I can tell you right now. If you say you're the perfect parent, then let, you know, read a book, give it to me, because it's very hard. Um, we do the best we can, and we can't. And once our kids become adults, we can't, like, be responsible for what they do. We can hope that we've taught them well. But um, I do want to say, and I, you know, just from my experiences, we as parents, uh, no matter how hard it is, or I'm sorry, we as parents, um, this is how I feel, no, ma no matter how hard it might be to hear or how much we disagree, we must listen to our children's mistakes. And instead of getting upset, upset, I'm sorry, or painting a picture of how we think they should be, we must listen, support, and help with no judgment. So they don't feel like they have to hide things from us. And this way, they won't be afraid to come to us with problems they can't handle. So that's just my opinion. Um, this is a very short podcast today. And um, tomorrow, next week will be, a, you know, longer podcasts. Um, but this is 
all the information I could pretty much get from this case. So thank you for listening. And, and it means so much to me. Hope all you mothers, as well as grandmothers, had a wonderful Mother's Day yesterday. And you have a fabulous, and all of you have a fabulous, safe, and blessed week. Um, in a personal note, I want to pay tribute to a wonderful father, husband, and and pro- prosecutor, and human being, Peter Lee Tang. The prosecutor in this case, who passed away in November 2012 after a courageous battle with cancer. I actually did not know Peter that well, but I was down in Wilmington um, getting coffee at one of my, when I worked down there, um, this was back in, when they first got arrested, I think it was like a month or two after, and I was in a coffee shop and there were no seats um, available, all the seats, and he had a seat at his table, so I said, do you mind if I sit here for just a few minutes before I go to work or whatever, eat my, whatever I was having at the time, a donut or breakfast or whatever and he was sitting there having coffee and looking at papers and uh, he said sure and we got to talking and he told me all about the case and his feelings I'm not going to get into that but he was such a sweet man and I do remember that Um, I remember him being such a sweet man and I think I ran to him a few years later and said oh I was you know um out you know with his wife having dinner and he said hi you know whatever uh, so, I just want to say, pay tribute to him. He had pancreatic cancer and um, fought very hard. And he was a great father, a great human being. So, we pay tribute to Peter Lito. Um, tune in to Delaware Crime next Monday, May 17th, for a whole new episode. For pictures and tidbits of this case, please visit my Facebook page www.facebook.com and then it's slash Delaware and that's spelled D-E-L-A-W-H-E-R-E then capital C R-I-M-E 21 so it's www.facebook.com slash Delaware D-E-L-A-W-H E R E crime that's C R I M E 21. That's all one word, Delaware Crime 21. Okay, so if you want to do that, um, you can. I can, uh, you know, um, get, I'm getting a um, my I'm gonna be on Patreon soon and I'm getting um, you know, a website worked on right now. So I hope to have that so you can refer back to that. And um, I just want to say I really enjoy doing these podcasts and learning about these cases. And I just want to tell you I have sympathy for the defendants and the victims in this. Especially, you know, the baby. Which would be a grown adult now. Baby Doe. Baby Doe Peterson. So, uh, anyway. Delaware Crime is an audio... Francis production. What do you think, Francis? Okay, mom.